0: For the past two weeks, athletes from all over the world have been competing in Rio in the Olympic Games. They've been a usual mixture of triumphs and disappointments, and Team Ireland has had a fair share of both. But this morning I want to start with a little video clip of another team called Team Hoyt. They weren't at the the Olympics, but I think their commitment and their achievements rival anything seen in Rio. So have a look at this please.
1: This is where they go to prove their mettle. Endurance racers from around New England, ready to take on an Olympic distance triathlon. Those who finish will swim a mile, bike 24, and run six more. Hello, welcome everyone. But one man's got a tougher challenge than the rest. And it's not because he's one of the oldest guys here. It's because Dick Hoyt will pull pedal and push his son Rick who was born without the ability to move or speak this is how father and son spend their time together Dick and Rick Hoyt have completed over 240 triathlons and on their lazier Sunday afternoons over 68 marathons the fastest in a time just half an hour off the world record yes, the real world record they say Dick Hoyt could have been an elite endurance athlete on his own Dick's not so sure. I just don't have the desire to be out there running by myself. I think it's just something that comes from his body to my body and it makes us go faster. Are you trying to say that you run faster pushing Rick than if you didn't run with him? Oh, yeah. He he inspires me and he motivates me. And he's actually the athlete and he's very competitive. He wants to win. For the
0: past 39 years, this father and son team have been competing in over a thousand races. They also biked and ran across the United States completing 3,700 miles in 45 days. It's an amazing team. And as you heard there, without his dad, Rick cannot run. But without his son, Dick the dad wouldn't run. But together, they achieve. In this celebrity culture, sometimes we focus too much on individuals. Even in church, sometimes we focus too much on individual. Individual Christians and what they achieve. Whether it's like people of today, like the Billy Grahams or the Bill Hybels or the Rick Warrens, or people of the past, like D.L. Moody, John Wesley, Hudson Taylor, Davy Livingston, or even right way back, people like the Apostle Peter or Paul. As a result, we can get the idea that God's work is only for a few select professional Christians with special gifts and specific roles. But like Team Hoyt, the church really only achieves when it works together. It was meant to be a collaborative community where we all serve God with our different gifts And in our different roles. And this morning we're going to focus on this principle from Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, and we're going to read from verse 1 down to verse 7. So if you have a Bible, if you open it up, Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing... We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed And laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I remember years ago being taken to the doctor by my mum. Because I was always complaining of having pains in my legs. The doctor didn't seem too concerned about it. And just put it down to growing pains. I don't know if he was talking nonsense or not. I don't even know if there is such a thing as growing pains. But in a sense, this is what the church was experiencing. They had this problem. The Grecians, Jews among them complained against the Brake because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. There was a conflict between these two groups of people within the church. The Grecian Jews were complaining that their widows weren't getting as much food as the Hebraic Jews. Now, whether this was deliberate or whether this was just poor management, it's unclear. But as a result, there was disagreements and there were accusations that that threatened the unity and the togetherness of this church. And on first look, it looks very discouraging. And a very negative situation. And of course it was a situation that had the potential to cause division in this church. But at the same time, I think we need to realise that these problems were arising from their growth. From their success. First of all, this problem arose because the number of disciples were Increasing. I think mean, this is an amazing statement, especially considering what was happening to these disciples. If you take time to read the, the, the previous chapter, you'll realise that this is one of the most serious persecution times in their history up to now. The previous chapter records another arrest of the apostles by the Jewish authorities. And this time the Jewish leaders went even further in their opposition than before. The Sanhedrin wanted to kill them. But they were only persuaded against that, that, way, that, that process by a teacher of the law called Gamaliel. And so instead they called the apostles in. And had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. These Christians had just been flogged. But again the apostles demonstrated their amazing courage and commitment. They refused to be discouraged. In fact, verse 41 of chapter 5 says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Because they'd been counted worthy of suffering, disgrace, for the name. I just can't get my head around that. They'd been arrested, threatened, flogged. Their backs were bleeding and bruised. And they were rejoicing in the privilege of suffering for Jesus. And not only that. They also rededicated themselves in their mission of proclaiming the message of Jesus. Verse 42 says, day after day, in the temple, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Even for a day, they stopped telling people about Jesus. And as a result, more and more people heard the message of Jesus, put their trust in him for salvation, were brought into God's family, and the church continued to grow. So this problem arose because of growth. Also because the the church was growing in diversity. This dispute we read was between the Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews. Now at this time the church was still mainly or or even completely made up of Jews or converts to Judaism. But it was slowly becoming a multicultural community. Probably the Grecian Jews spoke Greek and thought and behaved more like the Greeks. The Hebraic Jews spoke only Aramaic and were completely immersed in the Hebrew culture. And although this, this diversity resulted in conflict, it was actually a sign of success. Because the church isn't just supposed to belong to one culture. It should reflect the diversity of the, of the, the population from which it comes. Because God doesn't want a divided church based on the divisions in the world. Galatians 3.28 says there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It may cause problems, but we must not be a church just for one race or one generation or one socio economic group. We, want, we need to, we want to reflect the diversity of Enniscorthy and the love of God for everyone. For God does not show favouritism. And lastly, this problem arose because the church was a caring community. There was the daily distribution of food for the widows. This was a much needed ministry as widows in that culture would often have no other means of support apart from their family. And so the church, as their brothers and sisters in Christ, needed to step up and support those who didn't have any natural relatives. But it wasn't only needed, it was also honouring to God to do this. Deuteronomy 10 and 18 says, of God, of our Lord, that he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widows. And loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And so his people need to reflect God's concern in looking after those who are in need. Especially with, for those who have nobody else to look after them. So this is what James says. Religion... That God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. Is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself from being polluted from by the world. This ministry may have caused problems. But it was an absolutely crucial expression of Christian love. For God. And for his people. I think this is a really important lesson for us as a church. Conflict and disagreement are not pleasant. And if you're kind of like me, you'll run a million miles away from conflict if you could. It's so much better, so much nicer when we worship together in unity and peace. But sometimes... Those conflicts, those times of disagreement, those times when everything isn't just going along smoothly, are actually growing pains. If we are being effective in our ministry, then problems will arise. Growth will need to be managed. New people will need to be integrated into the life of our church. Ministries will need to be developed. And so we shouldn't be discouraged if everything is not plain sailing. Our goal as a church is not a life of ease and comfort. But a fulfilling our mission in this world. And if we handle these problems properly if we handle these times of of conflict or disagreement properly, they can actually become the ground in which further growth occurs. And that's what the apostles did here in a remarkable way. They knew that this problem had to be addressed. And so they called the church together and asked them to choose seven men from among you. We will turn this responsibility over To them. The apostles had been personally commissioned by Jesus. By the risen Lord. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were equipped to serve God in amazing ways. But when this problem arose within their church, they didn't try and attempt to fix it themselves. They didn't roll up their sleeves and get stuck in. Instead, they delegated this responsibility to others. They said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, that wasn't because the apostles were out above this sort of work. It wasn't because they were too important to do that kind of menial task. That's not what they were saying at all. Far from it. Because they knew that they'd been called by Jesus to serve others. Remember in the upper room? When Jesus took on the role of a servant by washing their feet. And then he challenged them. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. So Christian leadership is servant leadership. As we follow the example of our Lord who ultimately served us when he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So these apostles weren't too important for this work. Actually, if they thought they were, then they were unqualified for for leadership. They weren't too important, but they were too busy for this work. They couldn't do this as well as everything else they were trying to do. They didn't have the time or the energy to do everything. And so they focused on what Jesus had primarily called them to do. We will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. They also recognised that the church isn't an organisation where just a few people work and everybody else sits in what is often called in churches the congregation and watches and listens. That's not the picture of church that we see in the Bible. Instead, the church is described as a body. A body where every member is equally important. And every member is equally needed. Paul, 1 Corinthians 12, he says this. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And so it's crucial to recognise that the work of the church cannot be done by just one or two. Instead, as Paul goes on to say in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 12, in the church... God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues, and a whole lot of other people. There are so many different roles and ministries, and it's God who calls us to each of these different ones. And so the church only functions healthily. Well, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. We need to be a body. Where each part does its work or we will not grow as God wants us to. So the apostles couldn't and shouldn't try to do it all. They knew that if they tried their ministry, their main ministry, the focus of what Jesus had called them to do, would suffer. And so instead this church needed to recognize and release those who were gifted to correctly administer the food for the widows we need the same focus here don't we? we need to seek to distract the ministry that God has called us to do in his church and be committed to doing it refusing to be distracted from God's will even if by something that's good even by something that would be good for us to do we need to be focused on what God has called us to do in the body of Christ So the apostles refused to to be distracted. And so they handed this responsibility over to others. But when they did this, they again recognised the need for teamwork. Because they didn't just appoint one man to run this ministry. Instead, they chose seven. Now this may go back to the tradition in Jewish communities where seven respected men would manage the public business in an official council. But it also just highlights the importance of working together in community. Remember when Jesus sent out his twelve disciples on their their first mission trip? He sent them out two by two. And then when he sent out the seventy-two followers, the Lord again sent them out two by two. And later in the book of Acts, when Paul worked on his missionary journeys, he travelled and ministered always with other people. People like Barnabas, or Silas, or Timothy, Aquila, and Priscilla, and of course Luke himself, who wrote the book of Acts. And when he established churches in various towns, he appointed elders, plural, for them in each church, continuing the pattern of working together. God knows that we don't do very well on our own. We are designed for community. And we're called to work together as a team. We're not called to minister on our own. But the apostles didn't just want our team to do this. They wanted the right team. Now Acts chapter 6, some people look at that and see that these men were appointed as the first deacons in church. Although that title is never really used of them in Acts chapter 6. And neither is the, the the, the role of deacon clearly defined in scripture. But certainly it was more of a practical ministry that these men were appointed to. Much more practical than the Apostles. But whatever the role is called, it is clear that the apostles did not see this as a second-class role for second-class Christians. These men who were appointed to to do this work, they were to be known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. In order to fulfil their role... And instill trust in their work. They needed to have a good reputation in the community. To be known as people who were filled by the Holy Spirit. To be walking in step with His will. And expressing the Spirit's fruit in their lives. Of love and joy and peace and kindness and all of the others. To be known as people of wisdom who will make good choices in every aspect of their lives. And when you look at the, the caliber of these men, they included men like Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, who would become the first martyr of the church. And also Philip, who would then take the gospel into Samaria and do some amazing ministry there. And then when these men were appointed, the apostles prayed and laid their hands on them, commissioning them, granting them authority in their work. And then when the apostles described this work, well, they talked about their work as the ministry of the word. And they talked about the work of the seven as waiting on tables. In English you can't see it, but in the original language they used exactly the same word iconia or service. They saw what the seven did and what they did as equally Christian ministry of equal value in God's sight. The church is not a hierarchy. It's a community of people working in different ways. But each role is equally important. In the church, there are no lesser roles. Whatever we are called to do in the body of Christ, whether practical or pastoral, whether speaking or service, whether private or public, it all requires God's power. It all requires godly character. It is all important in God's sight. And so it deserves to be recognised and valued by God's people. It is worthy, worthy of being respected. And it's worthy to be called our service for Christ. And so it's worth Our dedication and commitment. It's worth giving our all to it. Whatever we're called to do. Whatever you do, Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord. And not for men. This could have been a severe, seriously divisive issue in the church. But instead the apostles recognized the need for that collaborative ministry and appointed these seven men to use their gifts and abilities to deal with these problems. And as a result, Luke records that the growth of the church continued. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. The growth continued. Godly Christians were released into ministry. The apostles were freed to continue to focus on prayer and preaching. The church remained united and more and more people came to know the Lord. Such an important lesson for us. Over these past couple of weeks of outreach many of us have served in different roles. We've used our gifts and abilities working Together to share the gospel with men and women and young people. But we need to make sure that this is not the end of our teamwork. Our mission is not over yet. There is still so much work needing to be done. And we cannot do it on our own. So I pray that each of us will be committed to doing exactly what God has called us to do in his church. That we won't be distracted from it, but we will be focused to do it. That if we are already serving, we will look for opportunities to bring others alongside us to work with us. And that if we're not serving yet, that we will pray and we'll ask God to lead us to serve him as he has equipped us. And that we will support each other and honour each other, whatever the role that God has called us to. And that together we will see in Enniscorthy and the rest of this county, that the word of God will spread. That the number of disciples will increase. And that God's kingdom will grow.